Hey, what's going on? This is Billy Newman. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Putting up an episode today talking about a couple of the things that have been going on that are related to the photography that I'm putting together and uh, a couple of the other media stuff or media news that I have to talk about. So, first thing today, last week I was talking about how I just got the A7R. It's the, uh, the new camera that I've been trying to push for. Uh, new to me, right? Like, uh, like I've talked about a couple times. I kind of try to push for older bodies a lot of the time. And I've liked doing that. I think it's been fine and it saves me a lot of money for, uh, for the need that I have, at least at this time, in the photos that I'm making. And I like kind of thinking about the work that I need to do, or the, the equipment that I need to do, the work that I have, and not trying to be really romantic about how cool it would be to have the very, very, very best thing, or the very most expensive thing, or the very newest thing. Um, so I've always had like a lot of ideas about that, but in most ways, it's kind of ordinary, or sort of general. I'm really happy that I got the A7R. I've been shooting with it a good bit this last week, uh, trying to kind of figure it out. Like I talked about, though, I don't have any glass for it. I don't have any lenses. And so when I say shoot with it, that's kind of a weird thing. Um, but like I was saying, there's a, like another lens that I have. There's a crop sensor lens that I have that came with like an A6000. So in this interim week, while I have glass on its way being shipped to me, I'm using this other kit lens that uh, was on the A6000 that I've been getting used to over the last month, that, uh, that work production camera that I've been using. So kind of all as in a bigger part of the transition from Nikon over to Sony for most of my photography workflow. Kind of an interesting, uh, I don't know, it's an interesting change that I wasn't really expecting to make entirely. I had sort of foreseen a couple years ago, months ago, that uh, Nikon wasn't really coming out with the same type of feature sets that I was most interested in. You know, the market was sort of most interested in the newer technology and feature sets that are going into the Sony cameras just seems to outperform, for some purposes, a lot of the things that uh, that I was looking for uh, in, uh, in photos. Part of it being just the uh, lightness and like ability they're really capable and they're really light and they're cheaper than some of the other uh, professional options that were out there so I thought it was interesting you know I was learning about it too as I was getting more into the manual that I was reading instead of SLR cameras that we'd kind of come to know in the past uh, since that's a single lens reflex camera and it was sort of uh, noted that that was uh, the the mirror and prism system in that traditional kind of 35 millimeter camera engineering. This is a bit different than that since it's a mirrorless camera. And since you're looking through an electronic viewfinder, I guess that sensor is, is picking up or it's recording some level of visual information all the time. And it doesn't have that mirror prism system anymore reflecting that back up into an eyepiece. And so now they're called, instead of SLR cameras, they're called ILC cameras. They're in interchangeable lens cameras. It's kind of a change I wasn't really expecting to see. I mean, of course, you can't really go with mirrorless for the whole life cycle of this technology because mirrorless kind of uh, implies the status quo of everything being mirrored. And so uh, I ran into this a couple times. Anytime there's like new or, or there's, some, there's some kind of modifier on what the previous generation was, that name convention doesn't really seem to get... To be the one that sticks around for the longest time. So when we talk about mirrorless cameras, that name is going to kind of fade out, and this evolution of camera technology is probably going to be known by some other, better, more accurate name, uh, like interchangeable, interchangeable lens camera instead of mirrorless, because mirrorless it just talks about the old decade, it talks about DSLRs, it's talking about what it's not 
instead of what it is. It's not affirmative. Um, and I remember that kind of similar to like my college education when I when I got my degree. Uh, when I was I, I went for new media communications, but the, the difficulty with that is that things don't remain new for very long. They're only novel for the first moment, and then they're antiquated, or then they're they're a generation behind whatever it is. So it was kind of a confusing nomenclature that was just sort of trying to identify the changes that were emergent that they were seeing collected at that time in the early 2000s as new media, web 2.0, and the internet, and social media were all kind of emerging onto the scene at the same time. They all just called that new media, but now we're a decade away from that, and so that's going to just be the current state of media. It's not going to be new or, or some kind of divergent section of media for a long time. And it just kind of made me think about that a little bit. They had to end up going through and, uh, and renaming the program I think to like digital communication arts because it's an affirmative note. It's not. Uh, it's not something derivative from some other past technology that's no longer considered. Um, so that was kind of an interesting thing about that. But the A7R. It's been a great camera. It's. Uh, it's working out well. It's. It's definitely great for my needs. You know, I'm really happy with it. I, I'm really not that demanding on a camera. That's kind of what I noticed in some capacities. Is that uh, there's a lot of things that I'm able to get away with. A little bit more simply, especially now, now that I've learned a little bit of uh, how to put more of the weight of the photographs that I'm making onto myself and not my camera, put a lot of the creative exercise on myself and the, the, the options I'm selecting or getting out of the technical side and kind of pushing toward the artistic side. It's been kind of interesting, but there's, there's, there's layers and layers and layers of stuff. So over the first week, the A7R is a thumbs up. I've been uh, having a good time working with it. I'm having a great time being able to shoot video on the fly. Film cameras don't do that, you know? Uh, so that's been really fun having uh, something that I can get video clips of at any time. It's interesting working with formats, working with bigger file sizes, working with all that. Uh, working with like a new raw file type that I always end up converting to DNG anyway. But I don't know if you guys have any information out there. I've heard before that, that the camera's RAW file holds more information than the Adobe converted DNG RAW file will. Like for Canon, like the CR2 file will hold more, or the NEF file will hold more, or the Sony AW2 file or something will hold more. I don't know if it's true though, but uh, I've always kind of pushed for using the DNG as, as a RAW file or, or some kind of lossless file that I can edit later. That seems to work pretty well for me. I'm not really feeling like I'm missing out on too much. I think what I'd like to do more than that is just have the DNGs and then have those backed up effectively over different places, especially for things that I considered important projects or important pieces of work. I have the great luxury that a lot of the photographs I make are fun photos and uh, kind of experiential photos that I love having and I'm really glad that I have, but they're, they're sort of a separate category in my mind in a sense of some of the more work-related photographs or fine art stuff or kind of put effort into and then reshoot a single thing a lot of time so that you have the best outcome of that photograph or that version of something. Um, so I don't know, you know, I kind of I live in a little bit of both worlds for that kind of photo stuff, but this camera has been going great for me. I, I went online and I ordered a, a 28 millimeter f2.8 or f2 lens that uh, should be here maybe tomorrow. That's sort of the word that I hear. Man, I really hope that it is. That'd be great if, uh, if we get something to show up here pretty soon. I think that, yeah, I think it should be here tomorrow. I got, uh, yeah, the, the 28 millimeter. It's going to be a great lens. It's a, you know, set it to be full frame on this. The one that I'm looking for after that, I guess, is the 85. I'm sort of going back and forth on which one I would go for first. 
Uh, a couple different reasons sort of uh, gave me gave me the idea, but uh, I was hoping that I can at least use the 28 to start off with uh, some high ISO, low light photography that I thought would be interesting. I think 28's just at the at the wide enough angle side that I could do some astrophotography that I think would be pretty interesting. I'd also do a lot of landscape photography that that I'm into. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, personal experiential photos I can get with that prime lens, too, without, uh, without feeling like I'm losing too much. So I thought the versatility of it for a few of the things that I'm going to be putting my time into it for, I thought the versatility was sort of what pushed it up over the edge. And the price, too. I got a good price on it. That's what I'm looking for all the time. So trying to recover a couple of those $100 bills that seemed to evaporate when I, uh, when I did this gear exchange. That's a tough thing about it is you kind of you list out all, you itemize everything. You kind of see the values established. But then hundreds of dollars at a time can just sort of evaporate. Poof, where'd they go? It's kind of interesting how that can be, especially with uh, the way that uh, modern life sort of seems to seep value away from you over time. Just uh, just a matter of days, it seems like it can it can consume a hundred dollars, just like that. But uh, but yeah, it was great pulling in some new glass for the lens and uh, trying to put away a little bit of extra bucks for an 85 millimeter. What would it be next? Like an 85.18 is what I was looking at. I'm looking at a couple prime lenses to to start off with. I know they're not as versatile in a sense, but uh, it's really what I prefer to shoot with. I think it's the best sharpest way to go about getting landscape photos or getting fine art photos and uh and i'm really looking forward to trying to use the the high not frame rate the high resolution like a 36 megapixel sensor you know size that i've not had before to try and get some really crisp um really clean photographs that i can blow up to larger sizes without feeling like there's a lot of resolution loss it'll be the first time i kind of run into that that barrier there where i have enough resolution that i can kind of get close to exceeding the quality of my lenses. That's what I'd heard at least before, but I don't know how real that is anymore now that we're this far into the future, now that these are modern lenses and modern engineering. I think if it were the 70s, you know, anything like that, there would have been a lot of issues with the quality or you running into the quality of those more inexpensive lenses during, during the early SLR times. But I think now, if you're shooting the right way or, you know, if you're, if you're kind of going for it in the right direction, if you're getting good quality prime lenses and you're working with it the correct way, you're really going to get outstanding results with it. And, uh, uh, and I'm sure, though, that there is kind of a market difference, but it's sort of within that last 5-10%. Sort of I remember talking about with a guy who did a lot of audio engineering is that for a real inexpensive price, you can get 95% of the way there to professional quality, to everything that you would want in that way of, of recording something. But to get that extra 5% to get you all the way up to what that professional standard is, it's this exponential amount of expenditure into equipment and processing and gear and expertise of people to try and get those little bits of quality back out of the, out of the product you're making. It's interesting. I want to pursue that. But for right now, I'm so happy that I get to make at scale a larger volume of material with older more inexpensive equipment. So it'll change over time. I'm sure as, uh, as stuff in, in the Billy business evolves like it has over the last couple of years. But other big stuff is that I've been working on my website a bunch. I've been trying to rebuild some of the, some of the foundational things that it's made on. And I've been trying to clean up some stuff too. It's essentially gonna look the same, but most of all, what I'm trying to do is cut out all of the extraneous colors, all of the extra sort of 
embellishments on the website. I'm really trying to strip it down to one of the most simple, one of the more straightforward, faster loading kinds of websites that I can make out of it. Uh, so that's why I'm, I'm kind of getting rid of a lot of the, the more complicated plugins. And I'm trying to drop back to just uh, more simple, auto-responsive web tools that can show up the, the few photos that I want and the few pieces of text that I want on clean white backgrounds with clean formatted bordered pages and, 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 the, and the like. So I've been working on that stuff a bunch. I just finished like an about page trying to rewrite some of that stuff and get new photographs and make new graphics. That's the other thing too is I've gone through and I've I try to make new like graphic cover pieces for the main page of the site for like Twitter, for Facebook, for YouTube and probably well Instagram doesn't take it. That's right. Hmm. Interesting. Well, yeah, but I'm trying to make uh, new graphics for everywhere that can take graphics and new photos for everywhere that can take those photos. Um, so it's been kind of good. I don't know. I've like, uh, I like putting it together. It's not bad. I think I'm going to head over to a coffee house here in a little bit. I'm going to try and make, um, well, that's what I'm working on today is I'm going to try and make uh, eight graphics that are 400 by 275. I know this is the exciting part, but I'm going to make uh, eight graphics to go into this grid of buttons that I'm making for the website. And it's silly how much effort it goes or how many steps there are into making these these eight cutout graphics. Like each one is sort of a specific project in a computer, in a program, rendering it out to a size and checking it, rendering it out to a size and checking it. It seems like it's just like a bit of work to try and get any of these little things done. It's sort of strange how that is. They're trying to scale things or seeing that something isn't really as right as you thought it was originally. So all that is kind of a weird part of the website stuff that you have to go through. It seems like a big waste of time in a lot of ways. You have to build things to a certain specification. Then you put it in the website. Then it, it's buggy or it doesn't work the right way. There's just all sorts of headaches that sort of come into it. But it's much, much, much better than it used to be years ago in the past. The results are much cleaner. You're much closer to the final product of what you would have wanted to have. Originally, it was just exciting that anything happened at all when you typed in some kind of HTML code. Then, whoa, whoa, I made my page blue or something. Or I made this text yellow and it would just be these hideous, garish design changes of colors that was sort of trying to make things more contrast or, you know, to try and make it visually interesting because you could, because you were learning how to, but you didn't know how to implement that stuff in a, in a clean, comfortable way. So I'm trying to use a lot of the stuff that I've learned about kind of pulling out more minimal design features. And it's sort of been a slow revision over the years. I think the first version of this website I put together was in 2015. There's earlier versions of that that were on other platforms that were still kind of the same design language in a way that go back to 2010 or 2009. Um, before that, I think it was just a blog on a WordPress page. Wow. So that's like 10 years. I've been going through it. I think I go back all the way to, to the beginning of 2008, maybe something like that, that I, that I put that website together. So it's interesting. Man, that's been a long time. Like uh, almost 10 years of that stuff, so... I don't know. It's good cutting it up and uh, cleaning it up, putting it together, putting more of the work-focused fo stuff on there. I'm getting rid of some of the resume-based work stuff or some of the web project stuff. I'm going to really try and funnel in on, on the photography work that I do and how I can do that for other people and, you know, and be paid to do it or, or uh, network with other photographers or agencies or something that I can do that with. So that's kind of what I'm trying to go for is a bit of a professional page that uh, really focuses on the social media accounts or the YouTube page, Facebook page, Instagram page, where there's going to be a lot of content. I think that's what the whole backbone of it is, is how does the website feed out to places where I'm going to try and put a lot of content? And then how does that content 
sort of without me doing any work, push all back to my website. Uh, without me doing any work, that seems to be the hiccup that I have in this plan. It seems like everything that I need to get done is just me doing a lot of physical development on each page, which is okay, uh, but it's time consuming and it doesn't really go anywhere. I don't know if uh, even like, well, even like two, three years ago when I first put this page together, I can't really say specifically or certainly that any person has really gone to that website to do something with it that I needed. I think it's more of a novelty that like, oh, Billy has a website? Yeah, a lot of stuff on the internet, huh? You know, it seems to be more how it's taken. I see the little, the little graph of how many people have visited it. And I think it's like one, two to five spam accounts that seem to visit it every day. But my distribution for a website, it's super thin. People don't go to it. And it's okay. But that's why I'm going to try and put more of my distribution efforts into YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And um, I don't know. See if I can build some stuff up there. But thanks a lot for listening to... Oh, wait. Before I leave, I wanted to talk about... The meteor shower, the Perseid meteor shower. I, uh, I'm not doing the Night Sky podcast as much anymore, uh, so I wanted to talk about this part of it. I think I might have mentioned it. Uh, maybe there's a podcast about it I can throw up from last year. I might try and do that today too. But the Perseid meteor shower is coming up like tonight, tomorrow, the next night. So be sure to get out and try and watch it. I know we've been having a tough time if you're on the West Coast in Oregon. We've been hit by a ton of smoke in the valleys, like a lot of like fire smoke. And so at night, it's still a little bit murky and a little bit hazy. And we're going to be drawn back a little bit because there's a, a pretty f- full moon. I think it's like a third quarter moon or, or you know, a waning gibbous moon is maybe what we're close to right now. We're coming into the eclipse, though, too. As soon as that moon hits a new moon, that's the day the eclipse happens. So as we see kind of progress toward new moon each day, that's, uh, that's the cycle into the eclipse right there. But tonight, the like 10th, 11th, and 12th, those are the good nights to check out the Perseid meteor shower. Look up to the constellation Perseus. That would be in sort of your northeast view after 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. You can kind of, I think go from like midnight to 4 a.m. is sort of that big zone that, uh, that you seem to get a lot of stuff visible. So try and get out. Check it out. See if you can uh, spot some meteors shooting through. I think uh, Marina and I are going to head up toward the mountains and see if we can find some darker, clear skies tonight to see if we can uh, spot a couple meteor showers. Could be kind of fun. I remember doing it last year. Last couple years, we've all tried to go out and spot some meteor showers. I think my favorite one was maybe like 2012? 2010. Back in 2010, yeah, I was working on the river. I had almost, you know, nothing real serious to do. It was just a fun time hanging out on the river, taking photos. We finished that. We went to a concert. We drove out to this big park afterward. We spent 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. watching out uh, in this big field, watching the Perseid meteor showers out in the dark section of the valley. And uh, it was awesome. We just saw a ton of stuff out in the sky. It's really fun. You know, it's, it's a little bit frustrating sometimes because it's a lot of minutes at times, between a good show of meteors. Sometimes you're kind of wanting it to pick up a little bit. But if you're patient and you wait out there a long time, you can really spot a lot of stuff that's pretty cool. So my recommendation is to go out tonight, tomorrow, or the next day and see if you can spot some meteors. It'd be pretty cool. So that's what I wanted to mention. And I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening and checking out the feed. You can go to iTunes and search for Billy Newman Photo Podcast, and maybe you can find it, subscribe, whatever. 
it's all good. I think uh, there's links set up about it everywhere. So thanks a lot for listening. This has been Billy Newman for the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Goodbye.